Hello and welcome to the Knowledge Without College podcast. This is your host, Patrick Butler. And today I have an amazing conversation to share with you. I just spoke with the incredibly talented Joshua Lysek. Joshua is the founder of the Entrepreneur's Wordsmith. He is Ohio's first certified professional ghostwriter. He's a multiple-time number one international best-selling ghostwriter, He's a Forbes contributor ghostwriter, a TEDx speaker, and the leading authority on author, voice, authenticity, and a two-time published novelist. Uh, and he has just finished ghostwriting his 50th book. It's an amazing thing that he does. He describes to me in this interview his process, the way that he goes about uh, both working with clients and just structuring his business. Overall, I'm amazed. He's very, uh, paid, uh, very accurate in his details, in his wording, and has some amazing tips uh, that everyone could implement. Uh, so I know you're going to love this conversation. Without further delay, please enjoy this episode with Joshua Lysak. Hey, Joshua, thank you so much for joining us. It's an honor to have you on the show. Sure thing, Patrick. It's my pleasure to be here with you today. So for the audience out there who maybe is not totally familiar with your work just yet, would you mind telling them a little bit about your background and how you ended up doing what you're doing today? Sure thing, Patrick. I am the world's only award-winning celebrity recommended number one international best-selling certified professional ghostwriter. A ghostwriter is someone who you hire to say it better than you could have said it yourself. I write everything from 350-page books to 30-minute TED Talks to 300-word LinkedIn updates. My specialization is ghostwriting books for public figures and aspiring public figures. I recently finished my 50th book. I got into ghostwriting, strangely, by becoming an author myself. At the ripe old age of 20, I got a two-book publishing deal with a publishing house in Washington, D.C. I had a few freelance clients at the time, and they're like, Joshua, your books are actually pretty good. Is there any chance we could deviate and help us with our books? And I'm like, you want to tell the story of your life and your entrepreneurial expertise? Okay, fine, sure, I'll help you write your book. And I have been saying, okay, fine, sure, I'll help you with your book ever since. Well, congratulations on your 50th book. That's an incredible accomplishment. Thank you, Patrick. It, it feels second nature to me, but then when I talk to other people every day who are like, you know, I've been, I've been struggling with chapter one of my first book for 20 years, you know, I realized, wow, that actually is quite an accomplishment. <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking is some people spend an entire lifetime talking about the book they'll write. And so to have 50 under your belt definitely is an indication of a successful system there. And it's, thank you. Thank you. I, I tend to agree. I'm very much a believer in, in book writing systems over having a goal of writing a book one day. I would love to touch on that system there because it's definitely what distinguishes, you know, the, the, uh, aspiring author from the accomplished author. 
are there any bare bones that you could share with us about what that system is and, and how you go about attacking it? I sure can. Unlike ghostwriters and freelance writers who interview you and say, hey, what do you want to talk about? And you riff for a few hours. They transcribe the riffing, uh, the recording of it. They edit the grammar and spelling and boom, call it a book. My objective is to write commercially viable books that have a broad audience and a relevant message. So I'll key in on, on what those systems mean. The fact is the publishing industry is worth tens of billions of dollars and there are tens of thousands of books already published in whatever category you might be thinking about writing a book in. 81% of people, says the New York Times, want to write a book. So 81% of you listening right now, this is for you. The commercially viable book. You want to be making sure that whatever your book is about, I don't care if it's health and wellness or it's about entrepreneurship or self-help, it must feel like books that are already in that category that people are reading. So let's say, for example, it's a personal development book. Every personal development book takes you on a journey of both self-discovery and outward transformation. There are specific things that it recommends that you do. So that is kind of your template, your starting point to write a commercially viable book. At this point, I've written multiple books, just about every category you can imagine. So I get to borrow what we know works for different categories, different types of books, whether it's a novel, a memoir, a textbook, or a nonfiction book. So that way we're, we're actually writing something that we know is going to meet and exceed people's expectations. That's the commercially viable part of it. It's very much a template driven process. I also talk about having a broad audience. You've probably heard the marketing tip or marketing speak that is, um, they always say that if you're marketing to everyone, you're marketing to no one, right? That's true for most entrepreneurial adventures, but it's the opposite in publishing. In publishing, you want your book to be for everyone. For example, many of us have heard of books like Atomic Habits or Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Those are two really popular personal development books. Notice how it's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, not Seven Habits of Highly Effective Fortune 500 Middle Managers at tech companies. That would be quite a small audience. So you want your book to have as much opportunity to meet as many different hands as possible. Think big. Can you write a book that could be read by your parents, by your significant other, by people in your industry, and there'd be something useful for them? Now, I'm speaking generally about most books. There are situations where, like, let's say you're writing a book that is on a new um, Microsoft product, or it's specific to the fundamentals of search engine optimization. You're not going to write that for your grandparents. What you would do is think through all the different types of people who could benefit from it. So let's say you offer search engine optimization marketing services exclusively to software companies. So if you're writing a book, yes, you want about 80% of your examples of your techniques to be with software about software businesses. But you want to make sure you've got a few examples and tips in there for one man, one woman business shows, 
freelancers, side hustlers, maybe a doctor who wants to get uh, more uh, clients or patients at their practice. So think about the, the broader audience. 92% of all book sales come as a result of word of mouth marketing, according to Nielsen. So 92 out of 100 book sales are going to come from some those eight people <laughs> essentially telling others about the book. So you want there to be as many opportunities for people to tell others about their book as possible. I love your scientific approach to, to authoring. It's, it's really interesting. I mean, even when you, you mentioned the template-driven process for sort of uh, making a or writing a book that has the similar feel uh, as others in its category. That's very interesting to me because that's not something that you can intuitively come up with. It's more something that you have to dissect from reading a lot of similar books. Uh, I imagine you probably have a pretty interesting process when it comes to reading a book as far as the way that you pick out those, you know, those key indicators or, you know, basically map out the architecture of that book do you have any, you know, which I'm always interested in how to read a book more effectively. Do you have any uh, information to share there on sort of some of your methods? Yes, yes. I'm, I'm the type of a reader where I don't like to read a book from beginning to end. Interesting. Um, I, in high school, being homeschooled, you can kind of do whatever you want. And so one of the things that I did was take a speed reading course. Uh, and one of the tips from the speed reading course was to pretty much memorize the table of contents as the starting point. Especially business books, anything that's like a how-to book, whether it's how to build a garden or how to build a seven-figure empire. There's specific steps that you're gonna be, that you have to know about. Now, from my perspective, when I'm looking at a book or am I reading a book, I go to the table of contents first and I look for what I don't already know. Now, the best books take an old topic and make it really sexy, meaning people are going to read this and like, I've never heard that before. I'll give you an example. One, and then we'll come back to Please. how to read a book. Not just how to write one, but how to read one, because you're going to really like that. Perfect. But now that we're on the topic of taking kind of boring, everyone's heard of this before, how do I say something new about this topic? About 80% of my ghostwriting clients are, they're, my work with them is covered by a non-disclosure confidentiality agreement, but there are a select few that I'm stoked I get to talk about. One of them is a lady by the name of Bushra Azar. She is the author of Mass Persuasion Method. She is a household name among online female entrepreneurs. Bookauthority.org, which they've been featured on CNN, in Forbes, on Fox, they poll experts. So like Tim Ferriss, Four Hour Work Week, Jim Collins, the business and performance management expert, uh, Warren Buffett even needs no explanation who that is. Book Authority has polled those individuals on what the best books are on different topics. Bushra's book is number four on the list of all-time best persuasion books, right after Robert Cialdini. So I'd like to position Bushra, my client, as the next best thing to the godfather of persuasion, or as Scott Adams would say, uh, Godzilla yes. of persuasion. So whoever the next, uh, next uh, titan after Godzilla is, this would be who my client is. The way we approached writing that book 
is very interesting because she is an expert on digital marketing. That's really what her, when you, when you get down to what does she teach? Email marketing, video marketing, getting noticed online. But we took a, an exciting new look at these old topics. We overlaid the psychology of persuasion, what the research is showing works to persuade, and we applied it to things that no one knows how to answer, such as how do you write a maximally persuasive email subject line? Email marketing is a boring old topic, but that question, let's say, for example, how do you get 90% of your email list to buy from you? Uh, this is next level email marketing. Like, yeah, I need to know how to do that. The and of course, Busher practices what she preaches. That's about how many people on her email list are customers of hers. So this is a kind of boring topics like email marketing. You throw in a, a, an advanced question you're sure no one has asked before that you have the answer to. So that's how you take a boring old topic and sexy it up so people actually want to read the whole thing. That gets past the Joshua Lysak filter of when I'm reading a book, I open up the table of contents and see what here do I already know. Unfortunately, most books fall into that trap of regurgitating what's already been said. I was telling my wife the other day that since How to Win Friends and Influence People came out, the great book by Dale Carnegie, 99% of all self-help books have been the author inspired by that book to rewrite that book with their own stories. I digress. When it comes to reading a book, I always like to go back to the table of contents. What have I not heard of before? What's interesting? Most nonfiction books, especially outside of business, so think like fitness or parenting or issues that are relevant to our, our, our modern lives, will have some sort of been a frequently asked questions, a miscellaneous questions section at the very end that didn't quite fit anywhere else in the book. That's usually where I start because it's the advanced difficult questions. A great example of this, this will uh, this, this will give you a, give you a trip. Um, my wife and I recently potty trained our son <laughs> or toilet trained our son. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. Thank you. We did it when he wasn't even two years old. He was wow. just over a year and a half old when we got it done. It was from a book called The Oh Crap Potty Training Method, one of the best nonfiction books ever written. I'm not even talking parenting books, not even raising a toddler. I'm talking nonfiction books ever written. That is a masterclass on how to write a book. So I highly recommend that. What is exciting about that is she knew who the, the other knew who the audience was going to be, primarily mothers, or at least the caretakers of the children. So the majority of the book is exclusively about that. But at the very end, as I found out to the table of contents, a chapter for fathers at the very end of the book. And it basically says everything you need to know to support your partner in potty training. And it's like a five-page chapter. My eyeballs went immediately there. So that would be something to consider for all aspiring authors is there may actually be a space for you to have a PS chapter, oh, by the way, in case this fits your description or in case the person that bought this book gave this book to you to read, let me speak directly to you. That's incredible. I, I love that advice. Uh, again, it's, it's one thing to read a book. It's another thing to know how to read a book and how to read it more effectively. So that's, I, I love that. Um, well, one thing I'm curious about is, you know, you've written 
50 books and you've, you know, and, and professionally write for other people. I think uh, one question that comes, I can imagine comes to people's mind is about getting credit for those books uh, and sort of being able to subvert your ego to, you know, be willing to do that for so many people and help elevate their fame. Where do you, uh, you know, how, how have you positioned sort of your mindset uh, to taking on that task and doing it time and time again? Patrick, we're all prostitutes. Got to serve In somebody, right? one way or right? another. One way or another. They say everyone has their, their price. I have mine and I'm willing to make the trade off. You pay me to write your book. You get all the credit. Okay. Now it helps me personally. I don't have any ego check on the ghostwriter author relationship, especially with a lot of the people who I can't say who they are, but I, I really want to name drop them just because people's jaws would hit the floor of who I've written for, but I don't because that's just the way it's going to be for the, the ego issue of like the pride of authorship. I already have the two books out there that I've written the, the two novels. So I, been, I've been there, did that, did the book signings, did the, the author panels, met the fans, took selfies with people, was in the papers, you know, marketing my books. They were, they were a nice little side hustle. Um, but to speak further to that point of being an author, one of the most important reasons people become authors in the first place is that they want to make money off of the book, not directly from book sales. What a lot of my coach and consultant clients do is they won't even focus on marketing the book online. They'll print a few copies for themselves and mail them with handwritten notes to their dream 100 prospects to get an appointment. Maybe 10 or 15 respond, two or three become sales, and that's their entire business revenue that they need for the next 12 months. And that's all I had to do with sending the book. It demonstrates their credibility, positions as models an authority, and pre-handles a lot of the objections the prospect would have had if they had just met with them without knowing anything about their book. In my case, something wild happened. I went back and I looked at, remember I mentioned there were a couple of clients who heard about my novels and then asked me to help them write their books? Yes. I went and I traced back all of the business that came from those first couple of authors and the referrals that they sent me. So it's like, you know, what, what is the direct path of revenue? You know, I'm, I made a, I don't know, a few thousand bucks for my, for my novel. There wasn't anything to, to write home about. It was, you know, nice, nice little, nice little chunk of change there. But what about my book revenue um, aggregate? I could not believe, but it turns out I made well over $1.1 million from those two novels. When I look back at all of the clients that directly came from the first couple of people who read them and then referred me to other people. It's like, when people say writing a book is profitable, that's what they're talking about. So with all of my clients, we look at what are all of the opportunities to produce return on investment? from their book. What are their equivalent of mailing a copy of the book to their prospects? What's their equivalent of using the book to position themselves as an expert so that people read it and say, I want to do that too. I don't know how. Can I pay you to do that? That's great for especially service providers is to write the book that tells you how to do everything yourself, give away all your best secrets, market it to your audience of potential clients, Make them realize they can't do it themselves because it's so hard. <laughs> Even though you teach them everything and they'll be like, you know what, this is just too hard. Can I pay you the author and expert to do it for me? And because you've got the book out there, they've bought it. They're already a customer. Even if they only spent 20 bucks on it. And we all know that repeat customers are thousands of times more easy to convert than a past customer. 
So it's, it's crazy because every day, Patrick, I'm in this world of unlocking incredible revenue all by writing a book. I mean, books for my clients are multiple six-figure, even seven-figure revenue producers just from having a 300-page, six-inch by nine-inch little paperback book. That's a beautiful thing. And, and you know, I'm sure, uh, you know, the, the coolest thing I'm noticing is that you're right in the middle of all this content and all these experts uh, sharing their knowledge. So besides the financial monetary value of doing what you do, you're collecting the information on top. It's sort of just uh, another, another variable of uh, sort of to explode, you know, the overall value that you get from doing this. That's, that's truly unbelievable because then you're right in the center of, you know, how to improve your own business using the information from other experts and other businesses, other industries, um, and, you know, cross-pollinating. That's incredible. Oh, it, it definitely is. I mean, every, every single person I work with, I mean, I, I have to possess a very similar level of understanding of the topic that they do for me to be able to ghostwrite it. Now, at this point in my career, I will stand toe-to-toe with just about any ghostwriter out there at least millennials and Gen X. I'm sure there's boomers out there who have written 500 books. And, and there are, I know them. But I will stand toe-to-toe with just about any ghostwriter, compare my experience to theirs. And, and talking to a potential client, I'll say, yeah, I've already written a book on that topic before. So every subsequent business or self-help or fitness author gets to benefit from what I know works from having researched for, drafted, structured, written, and published and marketed a previous book on that topic. Yeah. So you, as the entrepreneur, you're developing your own product suite as you, you know, create more content. It's incredible. Uh, right. Right. The question I no longer get anymore is Josh, have you worked on a book on XYZ topic? <laughs> Cause like, yeah, I've written five. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, one thing that I find really intriguing is, is uh, I noticed on your website, as you mentioned, stylometric analysis and how you're able to create a book that comes off in someone's as if it was, uh, you know, spoken by the person that you're writing for. That is a truly, uh, you know, it's like a, it's an artistic ability. How, how do you, how do you do that? It's art and science. Um, I'm the only ghostwriter on the planet who uses a software driven process to ghostwrite. So it's not like, you know, the, the typical ghostwriting process is, okay, this is what the person, this is what the author said. And, I kind of think they should say it this way instead, which results in the number one complaint of hiring a ghostwriter editor from authors, which is, yeah, it's great. There's no typos. Doesn't sound like me. I can't use this. That's probably the number one or two objection I get is people like, you know, is it actually going to sound like me? Going back to my even first couple of books, all my authors have said to me, Joshua, I read the first draft of chapter one. I was a little nervous about how it was going to sound. But you know what happened, Joshua? I read it and I couldn't even tell I worked with a ghostwriter. I shared it with my spouse, my client, my mentor. And they're like, wow, you can write. This is so good. How come you're not writing more books? And of course, they, they feel good about themselves. And they also feel like they wrote it because it's their authentic voice. So when they describe themselves as the author of their book, it feels 100% genuine. The software process Stylometry is the data science of author voice. It's studying your unique communication patterns. Everything from your common word choices to the way you describe the attributes of a person, place, or thing 
to passive voice versus active voice. Are you a person who likes to form complete sentences or you have the occasional fragment in there for effect? What's your policy on adverb usage? <laughs> All those sorts of things is completely unique to everyone. Just as our fingerprints are mostly unique among us all, I call it the voice print. And so as I'm ghostwriting on behalf of an author or a TED speaker or someone who just needs their content outsourced and delegated to someone else where they're publishing on their blog, do that as well. I've got the voice print right alongside the first draft. So I'm making sure that it's a one-to-one -one match with the way that they uniquely communicate so no one can tell they worked with a ghostwriter. That's exactly what happened with Bushra. When, when Bushra would actually refer me to people, they were like, I had no idea Bushra worked with a ghostwriter or worked with an editor for this. Like, it was completely her. I, I, would have no, I would have no concept that she didn't, you know, 100 write every single word herself of this. And that's very common feedback I get. That's interesting. It's it's similar to the way that you describe the the template driven process. It's it's looking at the sort of underlying patterns. It's it's implementing a you know sort of like disintegration reintegration uh, of really you know multiple things. Whether it's the the way that the author or the intended author speaks, um, it's looking at the way that other books similar to that category are put together. Uh, it's a really interesting approach you have to sort of uh, put a book together using so many different small pieces that it comes off both as genuine, effective, and commercially viable. I'm I'm, I'm blown away, honestly. Yeah, Patrick, it's the classic Scott Adams talent stack, but for for book writing, we've got. We've got, you know, the, the basics of, of the fundamentals of stylometry, you know, the data science, the what works in the industry, what's demonstrated that it's worked, you know, based on the data, based on book sales. I didn't even mention every book before we've even written it. The outline is uh, checked against what's actually selling right now. So we do the search for keywords that people are actually searching for on Amazon and other platforms, and we make sure that they're worked into the book so that we can, this is a kind of a, uh, uh, a sales and, and marketing keyword right here, a product level forecast to see what is the actual readership of this thing right now, how many people literally every month are searching for books like this, how do we position at the top of search results? So that strategy goes into this as well. Of course, the persuasion process, how do you convince people that they agree with you without telling them they should adopt the idea? Of course, persuasion is something that is done to oneself rather than something that is done to in a manipulative, sort of pushy sort of way. And then we haven't even talked about the publishing process, the project management of that, the printing and design of the books, all the marketing pieces that are involved in this, or speech writing and presenting and, and all of that. Yeah, there, there's, no, there's no talent stack quite like what I've assembled for the Entrepreneur's Wordsmith, my ghostwriting business, um, that yesterday I was on a call with someone I, we, we were talking about my process, and she said, Joshua, that's the gold standard of ghostwriting. So I'm going to run with that. It's the, it's the gold standard of the ghostwriting process. I love that, and I, I can agree with that just from what I've heard today. Uh, tell me about uh, you know, the, the way that you market your business uh, as far as talking to other people. You've had done some outreach, and, uh, and you have a TEDx talk. Tell me a little bit about, about how you see your own business growing and how you plan to, you know, bringing clients, what's your criteria for clients, and, and sort of ultimately where you see this, this going in the future. Yeah, yeah. About half of my clients come to me from YouTube. Um, I, have a, I have a very small audience on YouTube. 
but my goal is not to build up millions of subscribers. I only need a few thousand views to make it very, very profitable. I have 144 videos on YouTube on all things book writing, book formatting, book outlining, book editing, book publishing, book marketing, you know, in the end of the entire process that I cover, sharing real life examples from some of my clients that I can talk about, sharing what's worked for me, things I've noticed about the industry. I even do some reviews of other books out there, pointing out what really doesn't work about the way that they wrote the book, why it was a commercial disaster, or why this, this is a great example, a special tip that you haven't seen done before. And so because I followed a similar process for SEO, search engine optimization and keyword research for my YouTube videos, as I do with deciding what's actually gonna be in a client's book and what keywords we're gonna use, I'm able to get my videos consistently to one, two, three, or four of all the spots on YouTube and even some on Google. And so I found that what happens is roughly every thousand views across the um, uh, across all of my uh, channel's content, roughly every thousand views, I get a new client. And so all I have to do is follow the system with my templates for creating videos, crank another one out there. I average about one video, one new video a week uh, pretty consistently. And so that's how I get a lot of organic traffic converted right into clients. Just yesterday, somebody found a, a video of mine on YouTube. Within 10 minutes, they booked a discovery call with me to help me or to get my help writing their, their book. So systems over goals, as Scott Adams says, it really works. That's incredible. And I'm curious, you know, it seems like you're also very dialed in on your own metrics for your business. Was there a point where you sat down and you mapped out what your target goals would be or what your ideal metrics would be? Something like, oh, okay, every a thousand views that I get, I should be able to get one client. Like, how did you do that overall strategy or, or mapping out of, of, you know, what you'd like to accomplish? One of the reasons why most businesses, whether they're writing businesses or service businesses or something else entirely, the reason that most of them fail, something like 80 to 90%, is because they do the right thing at the wrong time. There is a, a business coach out there I highly recommend from up in Canada. His name is Todd Herman. He has a, a model for what to work on at which stage of your business. And you know, I've been in business for almost exactly nine years now. And for the first like five, six years of my business, it was doing the right thing at the wrong time. Still, I was somehow able to, able to grow because there's high demand for my specialized niche services of ghostwriting and publishing, but it was a very frustrating business model that I had. It was realizing that I was in the second stage of the five stages of developing a business, growing a business, the ramp up stage that's like, oh, these are the things I need to be working on right now in my business. Back when I was in the startup stage, which is really about who is your audience, what are you exactly are you selling, the one thing you're selling them, or you know, smaller scaled back versions of that, but just one thing, you know, that was what, what changed it all for me. I realized I needed to get clear on who exactly my audience was, the one thing I was going to offer them, get that right, and then I would, I, would, I would evolve up into the ramp up stage, which is where I'm at now. I've got my core offer of having this ghost writing and ghost publishing, which is all the things that take a manuscript to being a best-selling book. That's the audio book, that's the paperback. It's got all the marketing materials that's, that's there. 
That's my core offer specifically for entrepreneurial individuals. That's anywhere from celebrities who have a, a business that they sell products from, professional speakers who have a workshop that they want to sell, or even e-commerce people, right? That is, that is explicitly who my audience that I'm targeting is. The other part of Ramp Up is your question, which is the systems, making sure you've got all your systems in place, your, your, your templates in place, your reports. You've got to know your numbers. There's a guy, I think, I, don't I think his account, his handle is like at um, Michael Medici. Uh, he's in money Twitter, if people here are on Twitter. Uh, he always says, run the effing numbers <laughs> without the expletive um, bleeped out there. So that is what my focus is in, in my own business and growing my business is running the effing numbers. And it turns out that every thousand views, I get a new client. So I got to keep publishing my videos. That's incredible. A lot of great, uh, I already have so much stuff to check out that you've already recommended. Um, I'm curious, is there any other, you know, books or, or, uh, influences that you've had that have shaped the way that you've structured your business? Every client has, I mean, I don't feel like I'm actually one person. I feel like I'm a composite of all of the 50 plus clients. And then that's just the authors and also the speeches and the articles and the blogs that I've written for people. I have to, when I ghostwrite, I'm acting in print. I'm portraying an authentic three-dimensional version of the person. And so I have to go into that space where I am that person, which is pretty easy because I have professional acting experience, unlike any other ghostwriter out there. I've actually portrayed characters in front of audiences, live audiences before. So I'm just doing that but on the page. And so all of the, the business owners and experts and people that I've ghostwritten for, that persona, that author persona that they have, all of those are still with me. I would be an interesting psychological case, I'm sure, for anyone with that background who's listening right now. <laughs> that, that's, a, that's a really interesting piece to the ghostwriter skill stack right there. Any, or talent stack, should I say. Any other uh, notable uh, skills you'd like to mention or part of your talent stack that might distinguish you from other ghostwriters or really? Definitely you know, public speaking, portraying on video. That's something that Scott Adams and others talk about. Naval Ravikant talks about that. Of the, the, it is essential to become a skilled public speaker. You don't have to be the best. But you have to get up confidently in front of an audience whether that is a live audience of 10 or 1,000 people or turning on your video. So video marketing for me has been essential because most of my competition, frankly, are your um, neckbeard types who don't want to be in front of the camera. Um, and the results of when they are in front of the camera proves why they don't want to be in front of, in front of the camera. Yep. You know, when I first started looking at you know, ghostwriters out there, like, this is anti-marketing. You should not be doing this. So I found an opening there amongst uh, the, the ghostwriting community that I'm going to be uh, the, the face of my visits, doing a lot of videos. And it helped having the professional acting background that public speaking is no problem. You know, doing the, the TEDx talk, that was a blast being up in front of hundreds of people, sharing that. I highly recommend everyone, not everyone does a TED talk, but everyone audition for one. Because everything you're about whatever I just said means to you, whatever it is that you're about, to try to condense that into two or three sentences to pitch a TED or TEDx talk selection committee, that will help you get clarity on what you're about faster than anything else. And also lifts those three questions off because those 
three questions every TEDx selection committee asks are similar questions that have to be answered for your book proposal. If you want to get a traditional book publishing deal, you put together basically a business plan for your book. And that business plan has to answer these three questions, which is, number one, what is your big idea worth sharing? Can you communicate that in the length of a tweet? Extraordinarily hard to do, requires a lot of thought. If you can put your big idea worth sharing coherently in one, the length of a tweet, you'll be so much further ahead of knowing what you're about in life that you will be that much further towards getting it. The second question every TEDx selection application, TEDx application has out there is, why is your big idea for right now? Some word it, why should people care right now about your idea? This is all about relevance. So maybe you've got this great idea that's gonna change the world possibly, but given what the headlines have been in the past few weeks, does anyone care? Does, does do general audiences care? Are there millions of people right now who care about what it is you could be talking about? If they do not, your book will fail, your speech will not get selected. Whatever product you're launching right now, if it's not relevant to what's going on right now, don't launch it. Or find a better way to answer that question. And then the third question to help you come up with what it is you're about is why are you the person to share the big idea? And this is not simply well, look at my resume. Oh, I went to Kellogg Business School. Oh, I did this. Oh, I've got nine years of experience. People don't give a crap about that. What is your unique story? What is the experience you have that demonstrates you know what you're talking about? To get the TEDx talk that I did, I'll give you the quick example of how I answered those three questions. Number one, what's the big idea worth sharing? My big idea worth sharing is that the promise of the baby boomer generation to us millennials, that if you get a good grade, it's college, get good grades in college, you get a good job, you keep that good job for the next 40 years, you'll be set. That was a lie. Here's what you should do instead. Sell your services. That's my big idea. Why is it a big idea worth sharing right now? I described it as solopreneurship. You're turning your knowledge and skills into a viable one man, one woman, one person business. Why is it for right now? I worked in three different studies that had just come out about millennials falling behind boomers, previous generations, the collapse of the value of a college education, using data to show why people should care about this right now, or more accurately, why they already do care about this with the numbers. And then the third question is why am I the person to share it? Because I'm the living example. I've gone to, I've attended three different colleges. I have two degrees plus the master's degree level certified ghostwriter designation from California State University. So I've been, I've done the college thing. Very, very little of what I learned there actually set me up to fulfill the promise of the boomers that was there. And then I share a little bit about my story. My first freelance writing project paid me $1.67 an hour. Not $167 an hour. Not $16.70 an hour. $1.67 an hour. And now I have so much profit from my ghostwriting business that I am able to invest in real estate. I have a little real estate empire that I'm building up. So that is a quite a uh, 
you know, um, rags to not rags story or minimum wage to maximum profits story that uh, I, I was able to share. And so for them, it was a no brainer. I had a big idea, a lot of people cared about. It was important right now based on the data and I had the lived experience to prove I knew what I was talking about. That is your criteria for selling anyone anything. Incredible. Love it. Uh, crystal clear as well. The most, uh, you know, uh, it's the easiest form to be able to consume that information. You really nailed it. Uh, and I, I've been scribbling notes over here. I, I hope everyone else is uh, doing the same because this is really some great content. Um, I have to ask, uh, in the space of information marketing, in ghostwriting, uh, I'm curious if you have identified any factors that might dramatically change this industry over the next, let's say, five years. You know, I'm, I'm always on the lookout in my business for uh, factors, 10x multipliers, as Andrew Grove would call them in uh, Only the Paranoid Survive. Uh, what are some 10x multiplying factors that you've identified perhaps in your industry? Yes, yes. Definitely having a, an analytics-driven ghostwriting process where it's not guesswork or gut feeling. I'm at least 10 years ahead of every other ghostwriter on the planet with that solution. There have been some people who've talked about what could you know, machine learning and ghostwriting look like? What could you know, artificial intelligence of ghostwriting look like? What does the fusion of software and ghostwriting look like in 2030? I'm like, y'all, I've been here for a few years already. So I am the future of ghostwriting in that respect. As for writing and publishing, I'm seeing quite a bit of splintering of the, of the publishing industry into different niches. So we've, we've seen how there was, there was traditional publishing, right? Like if you want to get a book published, you have to get an agent, then you have to get the agent to deliver your book proposal to several publishing houses who will then bid on it. And the one that likes it the best, it gives you the best deal, your agent will help you sign an agreement with, and boom, they'll publish your book two years from now. <laughs> That's a traditional process. And then this little thing called self-publishing came along, which has a great business model called print on demand. You list your book for sale online, you store the files in the cloud. As orders come in, those books are printed by companies like Ingram Spark, which owns Barnes and Noble, or Kindle Direct Publishing, which is owned by Amazon. Books are printed and shipped to the customers. That was a game changer. I said something a little bit different about how the self-publishing model is going to go in the future. I talked about splintering. I see there being, especially in the age of identity politics, presses, independent presses that use a hybrid traditional publishing and self-publishing model where maybe they're doing, you know, the, the, the publisher and the author are both investing time and money in the process. Um, they're being demographic specific independent pet presses and demographic specific audiences. So think about, we are the press that exclusively publish men's fiction. And so our entire audience that we know and have an intimate relationship with is readers of men's fiction. You can even see this going further down. Like we're in an exclusively sci-fi team romance press, and that is who our audience is. So what's going to happen is these, these, and it's already beginning to happen, these, these small independent hybrid presses are building up an audience of thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of readers who love the stuff that they publish. So every time that the publisher lets their audience know that they have a new author coming out, 
they sell thousands of copies, almost guaranteed. So it's kind of like a, I've called it splintering, but it's almost like a verticalization <laughs> of, of the publishing world. And it's all about building up that, almost like that owned audience where the publishing house can't get canceled, the author can't get canceled because it's specifically who they for. I predict there will be conservative right-wing men's fiction press exclusively for right-wing conservative men. It's going to be, if you liked Bronze Age Mindset by Bronze Age Pervert, that is the future of this type of publishing. There's books that are for that specific demographic. There will be a, a, a right-wing uh, men's nonfiction and men's fiction presses. And you, you take that across the board for all the other categories. So like BIPOC, so they're a press for black and indigenous people of color. It's exclusively authors that fit that description and readers who fit that description. And everything they publish is, as much as they can predict, going to sell. So that is the future of publishing. It's lower risk, higher reward. It involves building an owned audience like that. That is incredible. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how it plays out. Uh, that's, that's very interesting to have that kind of insight in the world of publishing. Um, Joshua, it's, it's been a real pleasure talking to you, and I, I could ask you questions all day long. I know you're coming up on a, on a next commitment here. I'm curious if you have any final words or asks or requests for the audience before we, uh, before we wrap up. Yes, it's going to be more so a, a challenge. This is for the entrepreneurial types. Now, you can be an inspiring entrepreneur while you have an 8-to-5 or a 9-to-5 job and you know, leverage some of your employer's resources to make that happen, learn those skills on the job, get paid while you pick them up, or maybe you're already a side hustler, freelancer, solopreneur extraordinaire. I will say always follow the data. The best decisions are those that are driven by data. And it's usually data you did not know that you could access. I'll give you an example. I'm ghostwriting a couple of different book series right now for major publishers for public figures. So these are people that they were able to get the book deals, multiple books in the process. And I introduced to the publishing houses. These are places that sell, sell literally millions of copies of books, consistently producing New York Times bestsellers. So this is the level we're talking about. And I've presented to them my process for using some simple keyword research to determine how well their books are going to sell, which topics we should include in the books, which ones we shouldn't, what should we should have the title and subtitle of the book be. And they had no idea such tools existed. So it's a good chance that whatever your next thing, your next project is, there's a way to figure out data. There's a way to see what's working, what's not working, what's previously worked, what's not previously worked, so that you go in with a better chance of success than 99% of the people that you would be competing with. Love that. Incredible. And I, I, I second that challenge. So Joshua, thank you so much for, again, for coming on the show and uh, for everyone to find you online. I personally follow you on Twitter. You have incredible feed. Uh, where would you like to recommend they, they go and, and check out? I have a few free tools, no opt-in or email subscription required on my website, entrepreneurswordsmith.com. Entrepreneurs is plural. Word and Smith, very simply, Word and Smith. There's a book ideas generator. That's one of the biggest challenges people have is what in the frick do I write about? In 30 seconds, I will tell you what you need to write about. 
or more so my little software program will tell you what you need to write about. You just punch in your audience that you think the book is going to be for and what your expertise is, and boom. You just keep playing with this little tool that'll give you a commercially viable book idea. I've mentioned the YouTube videos I've got out there. I know people are curious about that. All you got to do to find me on YouTube is just search Joshua Lysek on YouTube. L-I-S-E-C. You can pretty easily find me there. And I'm also at Joshua Lysek on Twitter. I can promise there will be shenanigans, maybe a little bit of rage bait, but you'll be entertained nonetheless. Again, I, I totally agree with that. And it's, it's great. So thanks again, Joshua. Uh, yeah, for everyone out there, check out Joshua's stuff. It's incredible. And, uh, and thanks again for sharing all that information. It's been my pleasure, Patrick. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed that episode, please hit the subscribe button and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. You can find us on Twitter at KWC pod on Instagram at knowledge without college podcast. You can find me Patrick Butler at Patrick Butler zero zero on Instagram and Twitter. I encourage you to send over any feedback you have. If there's any guests you'd like to hear on the show, any topics you'd want to hear discussed. I want to know about it. I want to hear your feedback and opinions. So please, Help me make this a better experience for you. And I look forward to hearing from you. Have an excellent day and thanks for listening.